and what it means for us as believers. The 10th chapter of the book of Ephesians, or excuse me, the 6th chapter of the book of Ephesians, the 10th verse. The Bible says, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that ye may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that ye may be able to stand in the evil day, and having done all to stand. Stand, therefore, having your loins girded about with truth, and having on the breastplate of righteousness, and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Let's pray together. Lord, help us, I pray, as we look at your word, and I pray that you'd give us understanding and direction and guidance. I pray, Lord, that you would bind Satan and his demons, that your word would fall on good ground, and that it would grow in our hearts and in our lives. And I pray that you would be glorified. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. As we continue our study on the whole armor of God, I want to continually remind you why this is such an important topic. Again, the Apostle Paul here writing to the church at Ephesus doesn't encourage this church to take some of the armor of God. He doesn't tell this church to choose the right pieces for the armor of God, but he tells them to put on the whole armor of God. All of the pieces that are listed in this scripture are absolutely vital for the battle that we face as Christians. In verse number 10 and verse number 13, we are introduced to the subject of this spiritual warfare. We are told that the saints of God are engaged in a great cosmic battle against a powerful and relentless foe. And this foe or this enemy in verse 11 is called the devil. And the Bible says that the devil is, is, uh, uses wiles or trickeries or schemes to try to defeat us. God's command in this scripture to his people is that we would stand against the very attacks of the enemy. In verse 11, in verse 13, in verse 14, we, incur, we are encouraged to stand, to withstand, to stand in that evil day. Now it is the image of a soldier that is refusing to yield even one inch of ground to the enemy. That is the picture that we find in this, pres- in this passage of Scripture. And God has given us some very precious possessions. He's given us the truth, the faith. He's given us his word. He's given us his church. He's given us his grace. He's given us a wonderful salvation and blessings beyond measure. And I'm here to tell you that the devil wants all of it. He wants to steal the joy that knowing Christ brings. 
and he wants to destroy your testimony for Christ. And the devil will stop at nothing to take everything that we have in the Lord. And yet the Bible tells us to stand. The Bible tells us that we are to withstand. Now, how is this possible? The devil is not more powerful than God, but he's more powerful than you and more powerful than me. How are we going to stand against the attacks of the devil? Well, the Bible says put on the whole armor of God. And that's the answer. We've already discussed in previous messages the belt of truth and the breastplate of righteousness. The belt of truth uh, refers to the faith. It is a life of commitment to the Lord, and it it refers to a life that is built upon faithfulness to the Word of God. It speaks of truth and testimony and truth in living. The, The belt of truth will provide the Christian soldier the stability that he needs in his life, but but also it's a place to put all the other pieces of armor to rest. The breastplate of righteousness refers to a holy life, a life lived for God. And this holy life begins with our righteousness in Christ. Someone said a holy life, that is a life that is lived according to the teachings of God and His Word, is a powerful defense against the attacks of the enemy. You see, when we allow the devil to have just one place in our life, he won't be satisfied. He'll want another place and another place and another place. And so Paul writes to the church at Ephesus in Ephesians 4, verse 27, he says, neither give place to the devil because we're not ignorant of his devices. We understand how he works. And so as we continue this message, this study on the whole armor of God, we examine what Paul means when he says to stand with our feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. If you're taking notes with me this morning, I want us to notice number one, in our notes, the importance of proper footwear. The importance of proper footwear. Now, we often take shoes for granted in our society. I mean, shoes are a very important part of our apparel, and we have different types of shoes for different activities that that we are involved in. I have dress shoes. I have casual shoes, I have work shoes or work boots, Uh, I have shoes, uh, people have shoes that they wear when they go walking, Uh, we we have a lot of shoes. Uh, I recently watched a documentary of a nonprofit organization that went into Africa and they went in with 100,000 pairs of shoes. And the reason why they had these shoes was because in Africa, the boys and girls, they don't have shoes. And because of that, it limits them in walking to school for an education. And so this nonprofit organization came in with 100 pairs of shoes, and they were giving these shoes to the boys and girls so that they could go to school. And and so in our culture, in our society today, we are often we, we often take shoes for granted, but they are indeed an important part of, 
of our apparel. They protect our feet from dangers of walking barefoot. I mean, they keep our feet warm. They, they keep our feet dry. They keep our feet safe. That, that is just a, a little bit of, of what uh, shoes do for us on a daily basis. And I mean, we can even extend this into certain professions. Construction workers uh, would be crazy not to wear their work boots that protect their feet on the job. Or, or, you know, can imagine an athlete, a football player, going on the field without their cleats. Or a baseball player going on the field without their cleats. I mean, they understand the importance of, of their footwear. And... Those shoes are important to us and to construction workers and to athletes. They are even more important to soldiers. Uh, the proper footwear are, are so important for the uh, soldier's mobility during a time of war. The soldier's life could, uh, a soldier's life could depend on his shoes. Soldiers are required to march long distances and fight battles in all types of environment, and they walk through jungles, they cross rocks, they cross stream beds filled with sharp and jagged rocks, and they go through snow and burning hot deserts. Uh, if a soldier's feet become swollen or tender or cut or blistered, it would greatly hinder them in the day of battle. They might not be able to march. They might not be able to stand and fight. And so we understand that shoes are important part of the armor or the, or the equipment of a soldier. Now, the Roman soldier, which indeed Paul is using here to illustrate the whole armor of God, wore leather boots that protected the feet and the ankles. And uh, these boots at that time were called caliga. And uh, they, were, they were really half boots that allowed the soldier to advance toward the enemy undistracted uh, and not afraid of what he could step on. This piece of armor was essential to the gear or the armor of a Roman soldier. In fact, the Bible uses the word here preparation because it was a large part of the preparation of a soldier to make sure that they had the collegia, to make sure that their, their boots were on. And, and, and these boots usually had hobnailed soles, which means they would drive into the soles of these boots sharp bits of metal or nails. And, and these, hob, these hobnailed soles gave the soldier, the Roman soldier, great traction as he climbed hills and as he fought through uneven terrain. The boots worn by the Roman soldier gave him great stability as he engaged the enemy. And the Bible says if we're going to stand against the schemes or the trickery or the attack of the devil, then we're going to have to have proper spiritual footwear. And this footwear is not something to take for granted. This is important for us. The reality is we can be girt about with the truth and we can securely put on the breastplate of righteousness. But if we neglect to have our feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace, then we are destined to stumble and to fall. And so the Bible says here that this is important. 
this is an important part. Put on the whole armor of God. It's an important part of the armor. Number two in your notes, would you write this down? The illustration of putting on the proper footwear. The illustration of putting on the proper footwear. Now the Bible says here in our text in verse 15, and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. The word preparation here refers to being ready. It's the same word that appears in Titus chapter 3 and verse 1 where the Bible says, put them in mind to be subject to principalities and powers, to obey magistrates, and to be, to be ready to every good work. The thought there, to be ready, is the word preparation. A soldier's boots allow him to be ready for whatever he faces. A good pair of boots makes him ready to march. It makes him ready to stand. It makes him ready to climb or to fight. Or, or whatever the devil throws at us, then we will be ready. And the Bible teaches us that as his children, then we are, as children of God, we are to be ready. We are to be prepared. Every Christian ought to be prepared for the attack of the devil. Uh, I mentioned on Wednesday that the temptation or how the devil works, he tempts us when we are tired, when we are sick, when, when we are at our weakest. That's when the, the devil is knocking on the door of our life. And, and so the Bible teaches us that, that we, are, we are to be ready. We are to move at the Lord's command. And I think here, as the illustration, I think, prepares for us in the Scripture that we are to be ready with the gospel. We, we are to be marching forward with the gospel of the Lord Jesus to a lost and dying world and telling them the good news of salvation. I, I think Peter had the idea in 1 Peter chapter 3. Would you turn there with me? 1 Peter chapter 3. And notice what the scripture says here. 1 Peter chapter 3. And verse number 15. 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 15. The Bible says this, But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. The Bible says that we are to be ready. We are to be ready with the gospel. We are to be ready with the message of hope and faith and trust in God. We are to be ready to, to speak of the hope that is in our heart. Now, as we live in a world that uh, is opposed to God and His Word, we don't have to have all of the answers to what's happening in our world. Uh, but we ought to have the answers to the hope that we have in our heart. And the Bible says that we are to be ready. God has saved us and he commanded us to tell others of what he has done for us. We, we call this the Great Commission. Mark 16, 15, the Bible says, And he said unto them, Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. We, we call this the Great Commission to go into all the world, to march forward 
and be prepared with the gospel to march forward with the good news of salvation, with the hope that's in our heart. Now, God doesn't leave us to accomplish this task by ourselves. He has indwelled us with his spirit. In Acts 1, verse 8, the Bible says, but ye shall receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and in all Judea, in Samaria, and unto the uttermost part of the earth. The Bible says that the Spirit of God will indwell us and empower us. And as we read the book of Acts, we see that boldness came from the Spirit's work and the life of the disciples, and they went forward with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And this is the very duty that we have as believers to a lost and dying world. Matthew 28, verse 19, Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. And so I believe that, that sharing the gospel with the lost world around us advances the very kingdom of God. But I also believe that this is not Paul's primary emphasis of this passage of Scripture. I want us to notice, thirdly, if we could, the impact of the proper footwear. Now, in this passage of Scripture, Paul encourages us not just to go forward, but the emphasis is to stand. As the devil throws his attacks at us, as the devil is there and he's fighting against us, the emphasis of Ephesians chapter 6 is to stand. And he tells us how we're going to accomplish this is to put on the whole armor of God. He tells us, listen, if we're going to stand in the evil day, then we're going to have, to, we're going to have our loins girt with truth or the faith, or to stand in the foundation of Christ. We're going to have to have the breastplate of righteousness, and we're going to have to have our feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Now, the gospel of peace refers to good news. We, we understand gospel means the good news. And the gospel of peace speaks of the good news that indeed changes our life. It changes our relationship with God, that through Jesus Christ, we have peace with God. With, because of Christ, because of the gospel, we have a right standing with God. But it wasn't always that way. Before we were saved, the Bible says that we were the enemies of God. I want you to turn with me to Romans chapter 5. Would you turn there? Romans chapter 5 and verse number 6. Romans chapter 5 and verse 6. And look what the, scriptures, the Scripture says here. The Bible says, For when ye were yet without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. 
Verse 7 says, For scarcely for a righteous man will one die. Yet preadventure for a good man, some would even dare to die. But God commended his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So I don't know if you understand the significance of this passage of Scripture, but the Bible is saying that someone would never give their life for an enemy. Someone would never give their life. If you, you think about as far as society concerns, someone that we would look at as despicable within society, no one would give their life for that individual. In fact, the Bible says it's hard to find someone who would give their life for even a good man as far as humanity's standards go. We won't even die for a good man. But the Bible says that when we were unlovable, when we were the enemies of God, he loved us and died for us. The Bible says in verse 9, much more than being now justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. Look what the Bible says in verse 10. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. The Bible says that we were the very enemies of God. We were unlovable. We were separated from God. We were on our way to a devil's hell. And the Bible says he loved us. And he died for us. And he reconciled us to himself. In Romans chapter 5 and verse 1, notice what the Bible says. If we could look at this verse here, Romans chapter 5 and verse 1. The Bible says in verse 1, Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, the Bible says in Jesus Christ, the saints of God are, are reconciled. We are at peace with God. We, we have a right standing. We, we have a right relationship. Where once we were separated, if this pulpit represented a, a large, unpassable wall, we were on this side, and God was on this side, and, and we, could not, we could not get to God. We were God's enemy. We were, we were unlovable. We were separated from him. But the Bible says that God knocked down that wall through the death of his son. And now we can be reconciled to God. Colossians 1 verse 21 says, And you that were sometime alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now hath he reconciled in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and unblameable and unreprovable in his sight. The Bible says this is the gospel of peace. It is the message that teaches mankind how one can be right with God. May I say to you this morning, it is the greatest and most important message that this world could ever hear. 
It is not a political agenda. It is not a cultural or or a society message. This is the message of peace, that you were the enemy of God, and now you can be right with God. It is the gospel of peace. And the Bible teaches us that we are to stand in this glorious message. And so Paul says, having your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. It means to stand in the absolute confidence that God loves us and that God has forgiven us and that we are now united with him and that he now fights with us, that we are no longer the enemy of God, but we are now a friend of God. In fact, we are a child of God and he is on our side. He is with us. And if you're a Christian today, then that's the assurance and the confidence that you can have. And so the Bible says in this passage of Scripture to be ready and to stand against the enemy and stand in the assurance and the confidence of the gospel of Jesus Christ. There's wonderful stories in the Bible about having confidence and allowing God to fight the battle for us. I think of the story in the book of Judges when the children of Israel, under the leadership of Gideon, witnessed the Lord reduce his army from 32,000 people to 300 people. Now, I mean, at 32,000 people, they were outnumbered. But at 300 people, they were really outnumbered. And these 300 men placed their confidence in the Lord. And they followed God into battle. They saw the Lord defend an immense Midianite army without the use of a single weapon. All these men did was break clay jars, allowing a lamp inside to shine, to blow a trumpet, and to cry out as loud as they could, the sword of the Lord and of Gideon. And their faith in God's promise gave them confidence to stand in Judges chapter 6. And God wrought a great victory that day. I think of 2 Chronicles chapter 20. The people of Judah were about to be invaded by the powerful armies of the Ammonites and the Moites. And of course, they were afraid. Judah was terrified of what, what could happen. And the Bible says in 2 Chronicles chapter 20 that the Lord spoke to King Jehoshaphat and said, Be not afraid nor dismayed by reason of this great multitude, for the battle is not yours, but God's. You don't have to be afraid of their armies. Listen, I'm here to tell you that if you're outnumbered and you're the minority, you are always the majority with God. God is on your side. And I want us to notice what happened next in 2 Chronicles chapter 20 and verse 18. The Bible says, And Jehoshaphat bowed his head with his face to the ground, and all, and all Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem fell before the Lord and worshiping the Lord. 
And the Levites of the children of the Catholites and of the children of the Korites stood up to praise the Lord God of Israel with a loud voice on high. And they rose up early in the morning and went forth into the wilderness of Teoka. And as they went forth, Jehoshaphat stood and said, Hear me, O Judah, and ye inhabitants of Jerusalem, believe in the Lord your God, so shall ye be established. Believe his prophets so shall ye prosper. And when he had consulted with the people, he appointed singers unto the Lord that should praise the beauty of holiness as they went out before the army to say, Praise the Lord, for his mercy endureth forever. And when they began to sing and to praise, the Lord said uh, ambushments against the children of Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir, and, uh, uh, which were come against Judah. And they were smitten, for the children of Ammon and Moab stood up against the inhabitants of Mount Seir suddenly to slay and to destroy them. And when they had come, and when they had made an end of their inhabitants of Seir, everyone helped to destroy another. God showed up and God won the battle. And Judah experienced a, an incredible victory that day because they simply took God at his word. And they were prepared not because they had the latest equipment. And they were prepared not because they had the greatest advice or wisdom. They were prepared because they had God on their side. I, I think of Simon Peter. Simon Peter is the one in the Bible who says what everyone else is thinking. And Simon Peter drew his, his sword against the soldiers who came to arrest Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. Malchus is standing there and he swung his sword and he chopped off his ear. And Jesus reached down and he touched Malchus's ear and it became whole. Now, I don't know about you, but if I'm a soldier coming in to arrest Jesus, I'm thinking in my mind, gentlemen, I came in with you, I'm leaving with him. <laughs> and even though Peter had some misguided ambitions in his life, I believe the reason why he did this was because he just saw a whole group fall to the ground when they came in and they were looking for Jesus. And Jesus said, I am he. And the Bible says they fell to the ground. And I believe in this moment, Peter felt invincible as he stood in the power and the confidence of God Almighty. And I'm here to tell us and remind us this morning that if you're a Christian, you are indeed a redeemed child of God. And there's nothing in the life of the apostles or the prophets, they, they didn't have anything special or different. We have that same God on our side. And he can help us and we can stand in the Lord's power this morning and we can be in full assurance of the Lord's salvation this morning and we don't have to fear the enemy and we don't have to fear the devil and his schemes and his trickery and his wilds. No, we can stand firm on the unchanging ground of the gospel of peace that we're a child of God and that we were once the enemy of God, but now we're his child. He saved us by his grace. Not my merit, but his merit alone.
And no matter what the devil tries to do, no matter what the devil says, we can stand. We can stand. And so the Bible says, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. I want us to turn one last verse as I close this morning to Romans chapter 8. Would you turn there? Romans chapter 8 and verse 31. I want us to be reminded this morning because the battle rages around us. And I want us to notice what the Bible has to say about standing in that assurance or confidence. The Bible says in Romans 8, verse 31, what shall we say to these things if God be for us, who can be against us? He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It is God that justifieth. Who is he that condemneth? It is Christ that died, yea, rather, that is risen again, who is even at the right hand of God, who also maketh intercession for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword as it is written, for thy sake we are killed all the day long. By the way, this in verse 36 is speaking of persecution of the church. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Nay, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. For I am persuaded. Now that's assurance. That's confidence. I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And these wonderful promises, these truths are the shoes that give us the ability to stand in the evil day. The truth that we are loved by God gives us the confidence to stand. The truth that we are saved by His grace gives us the confidence to stand. And the truth that we are His children gives us the confidence to stand. And if we were to connect point two and point three together, I would say that that bridge is a Christian who doesn't have the assurance or the confidence in the gospel of peace is not going to be a Christian that's out preaching the gospel. It's not going to be a Christian who's out proclaiming the gospel of peace. God, help us today to stand, to have our breastplate on, to have that belt of truth buckled tight. Oh, but don't forget our shoes. Don't forget to be prepared with the gospel of peace. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you so much for 
all you've done for us, and we're grateful for the opportunity that we have to learn from your word. And I pray 